From the Orion Policy Institute, this is Orion Talks. Our podcast brings together experts for a conversation about events shaping the world at the local, national, and global levels. Tune in as we discuss foreign policy, security, human rights, political and economic development, and various other issues. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Orion Talks. I am your host, Suat Chibukchu. Africa has been receiving a lot of attention nowadays from superpowers, including Russia. Just last week, Russian President Putin convened the second African summit in St. Petersburg. Only 17 African leaders joined the summit, which is significantly less than 43 leaders who joined this first summit in 2019. Russia is not only facing international pressure for its aggression against Ukraine, but also due to, due to the controversial activities of the Wagner Group. Wagner expanded Russia's influence throughout the continent by providing security and military services to its state clients. And in last June, Wagner received global attention after its mutiny against Moscow. The failed rebellion left Wagner's operation in Ukraine and Africa in a state of uncertainty. Today, we will discuss the Wagner Group and its operation in Africa with our special guest, Professor Elena Pokalova. Welcome, Elena. Thank you for having me, Suat. Thanks for joining. Uh, Dr. Elena Pokalova is a professor at the College of International Security Affairs at National Defense University in Washington, DC. She's an expert in security issues with a focus on terrorism, counterterrorism, and ethnic conflict. Her area of expertise includes terrorism, counterterrorism, conflict resolution, and she is a regional expert on Russia, Central Asia, and Balkans. Uh, Elena, I want to start our conversation with a question of, especially related to your recent publication uh, in the studies of conflict and terrorism, where you argue that Wagner is actually a quasi-state force rather than a private military contractor or a private security company. And Wagner has been operating in more than 10 African countries, including Libya, Central African Republic, Sudan, and Mali. So why do you think Putin used Wagner Group in Africa rather than relying on official Russian diplomats and military forces in the region? All great questions, Swat. Uh, before I jump into answering them or attempting to answer them, I have to say that I am sharing my own views that do not represent the views of the mm -hmm. US government or the National Defense University. So if we look broader at how Wagner was conceived or why it was conceived, I would broadly say that there are two reasons and both of them have to do with legitimacy. Number one is legitimacy at home. The Russian population still have a lot of sentiments about Afghanistan and Chechnya, specifically in connection with the Soviet intervention in Afghanistan. The Russian citizens still hold concerns about why the Soviet troops went abroad and interfered in Afghanistan. So that's in the historical memory. In the 90s, Russia fought a war in Chechnya in 94-96 and then a second Chechen war in 99. That holds also a special place in the Russian history and in the memory of the Russian public. Because if you remember, Mr. Putin came to power on the wave of the Second Chechen War. He actually started it as uh, he came to power. Um, and the, the thing there was that 
he claimed to put an end to the first Chechen war. And the first Chechen war was very unpopular and there was a lot of domestic pressure against the, the conflict. So Mr. Putin remembers that pressure and remember, remembers the public opposition to the conflict in Chechnya. And so he has been very careful about using troops um, both inside the country and outside the country. If we look at Ukraine, which is a different topic, but he has been very careful about managing domestic opposition against interventions. So on the one hand, Wagner as this sort of quasi-state unofficial entity allows Mr. Putin to manage opposition at home. At the same time, there is the second issue, that of legitimacy abroad. And here the Russian government has claimed that they have done nothing that is different from what the CIA has been doing in Latin America and other places. Mm -hmm. um, then there is the issue of Gaddafi's execution in 2011. When Putin received the news, he was apoplectic and he really cites that incident and claims that it was Western security companies or PMCs that facilitated the killing of Muammar Gaddafi. There is another issue, color revolutions. Uh, the Kremlin has been very concerned about color revolutions. And uh, starting around 2010, 2011, that's when the Kremlin invested a lot of resources into how to prevent and counter color revolutions or regime changes that we have seen in Georgia, in Ukraine, in Lebanon, um, and in Libya and other places. And that is where we see a meeting occurring between the Russian officials and uh, executive outcomes, which is a PMC, a South African PMC. Um, the head of executive outcomes, Eben Barlow, visited St. Petersburg in the early 2010s. As a result, we see Wagner emerging as this group that we first mm -hmm. saw in Crimea in 2014. Although at that point, not a lot of people talked about it. But the point is that here you have this shady organization that allows the Kremlin to perform things while also allowing for plausible deniability. So the nature of activities that you see is very different from what you see from regular foreign policy institutions. In Africa, we see Wagner partnering uh, with anti-Western forces in multiple countries that are torn by conflict, such as Libya or the Central mm -hmm. African Republic. And you see Wagner partnering with forces that um, often counter Western-backed governments, as we have seen in Libya, for example. We also see Wagner operating with um, in this undemocratic space, undermining democratic government and promoting illiberalism. We see, for example, in Sudan, Wagner attempted to advise the government to suppress pro-democracy demonstrations. We see influence campaigns and information campaigns that promoted undermining elections and promoted elections in a particular direction. Um, in the Central African Republic, it's just this past week, um, President Toadera held a referendum to remove constitutional ter uh, terms to uh, presidential limits. And this is another area where Wagner has been assisting uh, him to do so. So what we see are these activities that um, allow the Kremlin to deny it is responsible for any of these activities. But at the same time, these activities allow the Kremlin to grow its influence on the African continent.
So that's that's excellent. So there are so much strategic reasons behind it, and uh, and also you know you talk about um, in your paper the, the the four countries like Libya, Central African Republic, Sudan, and Mali, how they function. You know you provide uh, in detail you know case studies. So when you look at especially in these four countries, how Wagner's presence, you know, uh, it's still I think. Uh, under the failed rebellion, uh, it persists at some level. How their presence uh, affect the stability and the security of the region uh, in the short and in the in the long term? So interestingly enough, in um, all these places, Wagner has come on an invitation from the local regime, mm-hmm. and in the short term, you see somewhat of a reaction that actually welcomes Wagner's presence. Um, Even um, in Niger, for example, with the recent coup activities, you see a lot of Russian flags waving and a lot of anti-French sentiments um, voiced. And Prigozhin even said, well, we can help in uh, Niger as well. This is very, um, this shows how Wagner really tries to present itself as an alternative to others, including in many cases, France. And so in the short term, you see that some places actually welcome Wagner's presence as an alternative to Western forces or Western assistance or French assistance. And in some instances, for example, in the Central African Republic, we have seen that local populations would say, well, Russians are brutal, but they actually help us retake land or regain control. Mm -hmm. Um, Some regimes welcome this assistance because it does not come with human rights conditions as our assistance does. There are also some successes. For example, in 2019, Prigozhin bartered uh, the Khartoum Agreement between uh, Central African uh, Republic's armed groups uh, from neighboring Sudan. So there are some uh, successes that local populations might interpret as a right path. But in the long term, what we see, um, and here we're speaking uh, from the experiences of about five years because um, Wagner started arriving in these uh, countries in 2017, 2018. In many instances, we see human rights violations, widespread reports of rape, torture, violence against civilians. Uh, We see violations of laws of armed conflict. For example, in Libya, we see reports um, about Wagner placing booby traps and mines while supporting Khalifa Haftar's forces. Um, And we see further instability and conflict. For example, in Mali, where Wagner has been assisting Malian government in counterterrorism, we actually see a rise in extremist violence. Now, Wagner is actually employed to assist in conflict or assist in counterterrorism. And Wagner itself is not quite interested in resolving these situations. It's actually interested to remain employed. As a result, we see this continued instability in cases where Wagner has been present. And there's these waves that come and go. For example, in Sudan, we just saw um, another round of instability and conflict in Mali, we saw that. Um, so in, in the long run, run, I would say Wagner's presence is associated with illiberalism and chaos. And another thing that I have to mention here is resource exploitation. Wagner companies get 
resource um, exploration rights in many um, of these cases, actually in most of them. And um, there are reports that the Russian government is using these rights to resource exploration to either supply, um, let's say, Sudan's gold or Mali's gold to fund its war in Ukraine. Or we also see allegations that um, the Kremlin is using African countries to avoid sanctions against this war in Ukraine. So in the long term, if we think that Wagner is going to remain on the ground, we can see more of this resource ex explore, um, explore, exploration and exploitation. Um, and unfortunately, that does not benefit the local population or local governments. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it seems to be a kind of a win-win situation for Wagner, Russia, and also the this kind of state entities that actually, you know, uh, keep their um, keep their positions. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back to the June and when the Wagner uprising and, you know, uh, it actually ended with a failure. Um, so how the African leaders and the governments reacted to Wagner's uprising? Has there been any change in their engagement with the group following the failed mutiny? So immediately after the failed mutiny, there were a lot of speculations about where Mr. Prigozhin is, or what mm -hmm. is the future of Mr. Prigozhin, or what is the future of the Wagner group? Um, is Wagner going to be disbanded? Is uh, Mr. Prigozhin going to be arrested and tried, or is something more um, evil going to happen to Mr. Prigozhin? So while all of these speculations were happening, now, uh, rewind to the end of July 2023. As you mentioned, Russia held its second Africa, Russia-Africa summit. Now, it wasn't as well attended as the first one in 2019, but this is the one where we see a picture of Mr. Prigozhin reappearing, smiling, and healthy and lo looking seemingly happy. And here I would argue that the future of Wagner is actually in Africa. And I would argue that Mr. Prigozhin has not been eliminated because of his role in Africa. If you compare Wagner in Africa with Wagner in Ukraine, in Ukraine, Wagner represented the small, relatively concentrated force. It was a combat unit that Prigozhin then took, withdrew, crossed the border, and attempted this mutiny. It was relatively simple to disengage the unit from the Ukrainian battlefield because it was concentrated, it was condensed, it was relatively um, concentrated in one geography. In the, in the African case, that's not the case. Wagner has been entrenched in many countries on the continent. Um, yes, in Libya, Sudan, the Central African Republic, or Mali, this is the longest standing case, but Wagner has popped up in many other cases as well. It is also present at different levels. So if in Ukraine, we saw Wagner fighting in specific locations, in Africa, we see Wagner people uh, performing presidential advisory functions, or we see Wagner people performing resource extraction or secure, securing resource facilities or providing military assistance. So the breadth of services that Wagner is providing in Africa is much bigger than elsewhere. And the levels, so for, for example, if we have Wagner people performing uh, activities of presidential advisors, 
and then these activities range to security and military assistance, that is much more difficult to disengage as a network of organizations as and individuals than uh, if we compare this to the Ukrainian small unit. Another thing is that Wagner is generating income for the Kremlin. So it would be very difficult for the Kremlin to abandon this project in Africa and, and basically say no to this income that is coming in gold, diamonds, or oil, and is allowing the Kremlin to fund its activities in Ukraine or avoid the sanctions. So I don't see a likely disengagement in the short term from uh, Wagner in Africa. Uh, the Kremlin might attempt to restructure the organization, to relabel the organization, and Prigozhin may or may not be there in the long term, but in the short, short term, it is very difficult to disattach Prigozhin from Wagner in Africa and to remove Wagner from this foreign policy agenda unless the Kremlin itself changes that foreign policy agenda. So just want to clarify, you know, because of the, all the reason you explained, you think Wagner will continue its operations, but the relationship with the Russian government can vary because of what happened in June. Um, I don't think that it's going to happen because of what happened in June. I think that the Russian government will be more careful about Mr. Prigozhin in the future. Mm -hmm. But as we see Prigozhin's influence and Wagner's influence as is in Africa today, I think the Kremlin will, will try to capitalize on the established links and the established influence, and maybe in the long run, replace the network of these individuals and organizations with someone else not directly connected to Prigozhin, but this will take years. Okay, so my last question is about, you know, the policy implications. So how should the US and its allies prepare themselves to leverage their positions and relations in Africa? especially, you know, uh, in uh, Wagner's, um, in the light of Wagner's failed rebellion and the Russian activities in Africa with or without Wagner involved in these operations? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, now, the U.S. hasn't had uh, much presence in many of these countries where Wagner is operating. So mm -hmm. it's not unnatural that um, some of the African countries are looking for potential partners and they're picking Wagner. So I think that Biden's administration's strategy on sub-Saharan Africa is definitely a move in the right direction where we can actually have a strategy and develop partnerships in Africa to offer alternative assistance, to offer alternative counterterrorism or offer alternative um, partnerships. Now, in terms of some specific steps, well, there is a conversation about whether Wagner is a terrorist group or it's not a terrorist group and whether uh, we should designate it as a foreign terrorist organization. Uh, the thing here is that the U.S. has already designated Wagner as a transnational criminal organization. And mm -hmm. in my view, given the nature, given this quasi-state um, shadowy nature, um, this is an appropriate designation, and designating individuals, not entities, seems to be working. Because again, entities, um, even looking at uh, Prigozhin's Wagner companies uh, that have mushroomed in these multiple places in Africa, they change relatively quickly. So designating an entity might not be as effective as designating a an individual. And we have already been doing this, and this is something that's 
um, going on. Now, the CIA is uh, also supposedly conducting operations. And again, given the less visible nature of Wagner, I believe that this is the area where we can um, explore and invest further. There is the uncomfortable question of the heritage of colonialism, because in many of the cases, Wagner comes in as a result of anti-French protests, anti-French sentiments, and Russia presents this case saying that, while we've never had colonies, as a result, we are going to offer a different dynamic here. So unless we, our partners, deal with this heritage of colonialism, unfortunately, Wagner will have narratives that will continue appealing to the local governments or the local populations. Um, counterterrorism assistance. We need to be consistent in providing counterterrorism assistance because let's say in Mali, France withdrew and that's where you had that vacuum where Russia filled the space. So we do need to figure out how we can be good counterterrorism partners and how can we be partners that um, continue standing by our allies. Finally, there are some cases where Wagner has failed. For example, in Mozambique, Wagner arrived to fight Islamist extremist organizations, but they suffered casualties and heavy losses and withdrew. So we see that Wagner does not always succeed. And we also see that Wagnerites fight for money. They don't fight to die. Mm -hmm. They don't fight for an ideology. This is where they are different from terrorist organizations. And so we see that while lucrative offers can keep Wagnerites away from uh, cases like Mozambique or even cases like Ukraine, because what we see here is that people were fighting, but reluctantly, uh, because again, Wagnerites like to make money, not die for a cause. Um, Elena, thank you so much for your great insights. It was a pleasure having you. So uh, thank you for having me. Uh, the pleasure was mine.